Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And this week, we are going to uh, listen to a conversation with a man named Richard Cresser. And if you don't know who Richard is, you need to immediately look him up, look at his accomplishments. Um, He is basically the perfect endurance adventurer like when you when you hear the words endurance athlete and adventurer combined you should instantly think of Richard (laughs) because um he's just kind of a wild man like comes up with these crazy ideas and then he just goes after him takes him on steps up to the plate um just an awesome awesome dude so I'm very excited to share the story I almost even don't even want to spoil some of the things that he's accomplished like I kind of want you just to discover them through the conversation (laughs) but uh I just want to preview it there's some badass insane endurance races something we didn't even talk about he won the Bigfoot 200 a couple years ago we didn't even get to talk about that we didn't get to touch on that um For uh, the kind of funny thing, like I was thinking about the last few episodes I put out and we've had a lot of Iowa athletes on the show or people who grew up in Iowa and Richard is no different. So if you're doing like a Bigfoot, you know, drinking game and every time someone's like growing up in Iowa, then uh, then you take a drink. That's what that is. Um, But yeah, Richard's no different. He now lives in Washington. Um, But if you are from Iowa, there's this thing called Ragbri, which is a bike ride across the state. And one of Richard's very first of big events has to do with Ragbri. Now, it's not him riding across the state with thousands of other people on their bikes partying their way across Iowa. It's him putting himself intentionally into some very brutal and difficult, and by difficult, that's not even a good enough word, extremely difficult endurance feats at that point um we also talk about this race called the arrowhead 135 which just so happens to be in northern minnesota right on the border of canada at international falls which connects with me because that's where every time i go on a fishing trip with my dad and we go into canada that's where we pass so the arrowhead 135 is a is a 135 mile race in northern minnesota in January, the dead of winter, running 135 miles in the coldest place in the United States. That's insane. So we talk about that. And then we talk about something called the rash. And I don't, I man, I don't want to spoil these things. They're so cool. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what this one is. He uh, basically summited and then circumnavigated the four big volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest. So Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, Mount St. Helens, and Mount Hood. So we get into that as well. Um, Richard came on my radar because my, one of my best friends, Calvin Johansson, who you've heard on the show, he's the guy that did a hundred mountains in a hundred days. We've had him on quite a few times. Uh, Richard and Calvin are planning a gigantic event this summer We'll be following it on the podcast, and I would highly suggest you guys follow their journey as well. Um, They're training for it right now. We get into it a little bit on the show, but I definitely want to have them both back and both on the show to kind of discuss their plans, what the actual event is. Uh, It's called Tour to Volcanoes, and we can get into that in the future as well. But yeah, so let's get into it. Um, Don't want to stall you too much. So this is episode number 86 with Richard Cresser. Enjoy, guys. Hey, it's Chris again, really quick. Um, I was in the middle of my workout doing kettlebell swings and burpees, all that fun stuff. And I remembered that I wanted to say something else during the intro and I forgot. So, um, just to let you guys know, the audio quality in this episode's not not bad, but it's not necessarily the great either, uh, the greatest either. Um, Richard was driving back from the mountains and he was in the mountains. And so there are a couple moments where not too many of them, but there's a couple moments where like Skype slows down. Um, that wasn't Richard's voice slowing down. (laughs) 
uh that was skype so i apologize and um but you know what when your guest is just a constant mountain man with like a badass mountain man beard and like coming down from a a long tough day in the mountains you deal with it right (laughs) so anyways thanks again richard you rock um can't wait to talk to you again in the future sorry about the couple times skype kind of poops out on us here uh anyways guys enjoy Okay, man, uh, I'm super pumped to talk to you. So this week we have Richard Cresser on the podcast. And uh, yeah, man, just like going through kind of some of the details of what you've uh, gone after in the past. I'm just super stoked to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to be on. Yeah, man. So, ah, man, there's so many things like, and tell me if I'm wrong about any of these, but like running Ragbri the Bigfoot 200, Arrowhead, all this crazy stuff, man. Like, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the past uh, few years uh, since I got out of the Army. I've you know, really kind of tried to go down the rabbit hole of the outdoor adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride so far. What what made you want to go down that rabbit hole? Um, I think growing up in Iowa, I, I didn't really know about outdoor adventure sports. Uh, I mean, our definition of camping was with the uh, the Jayco tow behind, you know, pop up camper. Uh, that was our version of camping. So, moving out to Washington, uh, Washington State really was an eye opener that you can go and do these types of adventures right from your backyard. Uh, I mean, you can have a, a day adventure right outside. Uh, that last four hours and it would be an, an epic trip of a year, you know, back when I used to live in yeah. Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I went to college at Iowa State and after college, uh, I'm, the military moved me out here to Washington down in Tacoma at the uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord. And so living out here and getting into the outdoor adventure sports really uh, made opened my eyes uh, to things that I didn't really know about when I was living in Iowa. And, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun things to do. I mean, we only have a certain amount of time on the year and it's been a weird path. I never imagined I'd be going down this rabbit hole, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. (laughs) Yeah, man. Where, where did you grow up in Iowa? I grew up in Raymond. Uh, it's a little town about 600 outside Waterloo, uh, which is kind of in the Northeast corner there. Yeah, man. I went to, uh, Wartburg for a year. So is it up kind of by that? Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty close to there. Uh, Waterloo's maybe 30 minutes away from Warburg. Okay. Uh, my oldest sister went to Warburg, actually, too. Nice. I got it. So if people are listening, like that area of Iowa is has to be one of the coldest spots on Earth. <laughs> <I'm pretty> <laughs> sure. <laughs> like it's so it's not un- as cold as northern Minnesota, as I just found out during Arrowhead. Oh, okay. Dude, let's start there because that's like the most recent thing. <laughs> Yeah, man. Cal- uh, so we we're connected because um, my buddy Calvin and you are planning this like amazing epic adventure this summer, and uh, he texted me out of the blue. He's like, "Yeah, man, uh, Richard, my my partner on this adventure just did the Arrowhead 135," and I was like, "What's that?" And so explain, <laughs> explain yourself. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Arrowhead is an interesting beast. Uh, it's an ultra marathon, but it's not an ultra marathon uh, like any other ultra out there. Uh, it's kind of in this specialty subset of ultra running called winter uh, winter racing. And basically, it's uh, winter races are usually just on snow in super frigid temperatures uh, in you know in the winter in the coldest part of the year. So uh, the Arrowhead race is 135 miles through the coldest part of the uh, continental U.S., northern Minnesota, starts right on the Canadian border in International Falls. Nice. And it follows the Arrowhead Trail, which is a groomed snowmobile trail, uh, all the way to the uh, town of Tower, uh, to this little casino out there. So kind of goes through a bunch of, like, in the summer, it's a bunch of marshland, but in the winter, it's all frozen over. So pretty big recreation area for snowmobiles and stuff. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it got to about negative 30, uh, one night. Um, and with the, 
you know, with, with it being so cold, the race organizers make sure you have a lot of a uh, lot of gear with you uh, for emergencies and just daily life. So you have to have a um, a negative twenty degree sleeping bag, a sleeping mat, a bivy sack, a stove, and that's kind of just like the start of the required gear. And then there's a bunch of clothing you have to bring. So most people end up using a sled system. Uh, to pull to, to to put all their stuff on a sled, uh, which they kind of refer to as a pult, and then they pull that pult behind them uh, to keep the weight off their shoulders. So it's not you know you're, you're not backpacking it. You're trying to run as much as you can and pull that sled. That's insane, man. <laughs> are you yeah, wearing like yeah, snowshoes? Are you just running on like frozen snow? Uh, it's it's groomed snowmobile trails, so. It's pretty packed down, and you know when it's negative twenty out, uh, it's all frozen over. Uh, so it's good and crunchy. So you can kind of just wear regular trail running shoes or even road running shoes because traction really isn't an issue. Um, and but if you are getting fresh snow during the race, like if you're getting a couple inches of powder, then you definitely would need you know probably some snowshoes. Uh, maybe if it's a couple inches, probably not, but. Anything more than that, and if the groomers haven't been through, then you you know uh, you definitely need to bring snowshoes. And that that's part of the hard part about this race is you have to prepare for four different races. You know, one race if it's snowing, one race if it's going to be nice and clear out, one race if it's really warm and all of the snow is wet, and wow. you know, so it's just you you kind of have to prepare in the months ahead for a lot of different contingencies and then a week out once you kind of know the weather forecast you can kind of start to zero in on what type of race you think you'll be having and uh, kind of pack some gear for there dude that's crazy man how many people are actually doing this race because i it came on my radar like six months ago i heard about it for the first time and i was like uh you're running where and when (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I first heard about it maybe six years ago, um, and it was kind of in response to the Badwater Ultramarathon in Death Valley. So it's the hottest time of the year in the hottest part of the U.S., yeah. 135 miles. And I, I hate the heat. Like, that's uh, heat's kind of my nemesis. So I, I knew I didn't want to do Badwater. And then when I heard of Arrowhead, I was like, yeah, that's that's much more <laughs> my jam. Like, I like the cold. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just took me all, you know, quite a few years to work up kind of the accreditations to apply for the race and prove to the race organizer I knew what I was doing enough to uh, kind of give it a go. Yeah, man. Is it just like the hardest, most badass people running this race? Uh, it's it's a lot of Midwesterners okay. um, that, that run it and just like good, hardy Minnesotan, uh, you know, backwoods folk and you know, it's, it, a lot of people have an impression. I mean, I did before I got into it. Of ultra runners have to be like the 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 super fit guy with two percent body fat and just lots of muscle. But I mean, you, you tow the line at a race like this, and it's a bunch of middle aged people. Might be fit, might be you know overweight, and yeah. just uh, you know just you need to be hardy. Like that's the biggest thing is you just need to be like a a good hardy guy with mental stamina like that that's the biggest part of that is you know just having the, that mental wherewithal to not give up and keep it going yeah man so i heard your girlfriend there what's uh did was she there like helping you out or crewing or was she running it because isn't she's kind of an adventurer herself right yeah yeah she um she's actually from minnesota herself and we met out here in washington and yeah she um uh she was there but unfortunately, you can't have crew at the race. You have to uh, do it uh, uh, with no crew, no pacers. Uh, there's three aid stations along the way. So three? you can get, a, uh, yeah, only three. Oh so it's about thir- God, every 35 miles. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but the entire theme of the race is to be self supportive and okay. self reliant. Yeah. So no pacers, no crew. Um, and you have to go quite a while in between uh, resupply points. Um, you can also do it unsupported, which means you don't get to go inside at those three aid stations. And you have to carry all your food with you uh, all from the star and melt your own water along the way. Uh, so the unsupported category is pretty, pretty ballsy and 
hardcore too but wow, um, yeah so she she was there supporting me but unfortunately she couldn't really do too much yeah yeah well so man i'm just i've just been shaking my head this whole time i know you can't see me but i'm just like <laughs> what like every thing you're like and then it's even more crazier um did you see anybody like like severely struggling along the way because man i gotta imagine like 30 miles to an aid station if you're in trouble that's like quite a ways to get get some help yeah there's definitely i mean you need to know what you're doing quite a bit so you it's a graduate level race okay so you have to prove to the race organizers that you've done something similar like it before before you can gain entry to the race so everyone there kind of knows at least somewhat what they're doing um to to an extent but you know even with that people get into trouble uh you you can be a you know 10 time veteran and still make mistakes or something like that so uh they make you have a uh no actually they don't make you have a spot tracker but most people have a spot tracker which you can kind of hit for emergencies if something did happen and they also have some snowmobile patrols going up and down the course uh every so often kind of checking in on you and and if you're uh you know not doing so hot they'll give you a ride uh to the next aid station and then you can drop from the race uh type of thing but yeah i mean like and and you're watching out for each other uh as, as you're going to um a lot of guys kind of you can't have pacers, but racers link up with each other and uh, head out uh, together and stuff. So yeah, yeah that um, yeah, it, it usually works out. And I mean, but yeah, at the same time, I definitely saw people hurting out there. I mean, it's a long ways in between. And I mean, I, I had a really good race until about the last twenty miles, and then I was one of those guys hurting out yeah. there. I mean, <laughs> I had one of the worst endings to a race as I've had. Like I, I, I wouldn't say absolute worst, but definitely one of my worst like my feet just totally got destroyed and i had to just death march it in about the last 12 to 15 miles um and i mean every single time i i I had to take a step it was just the most painful thing i experienced in recent memory and uh just like kept crying and i was in so much pain just i turned into a little ball of just like motion but you know just i i knew i had time to finish so i just kept death marching it in and yeah, that and and it's a hard ending too. It's not scenic. It's just straight. It never turns. It never climbs a hill. It was just boring, and I I had lost my phone, so I didn't even have a music or a book on tape, and I I just got so bored out there too, and just had I ran out of things to think about. It was yeah, it was it was a rough finish. Wow, man. So how long did those fifteen miles take? Um. Before that, I was moving about consistently at a maybe 16 to 18 minute per mile pace. Uh, and then that uh, dropped back and I, I was pulling about maybe two miles an hour. Wow. Uh, after that, so, I mean, yeah, man. So, like, I'm just imagining seven hours of just excruciating pain and boredom yeah in the, in the yeah. freezing I, cold I a, <laughs> and i had a gps watch going and so i usually don't try and look at my watch but that late in the race when i was doing so horrible i knew like all right i have 10 miles left and i tried to go as long as i could without looking at my watch and then i'd look down and be like oh my god i've only went 0.37 miles oh. and like i can't even imagine going another nine point you know six yeah i, I just can't even fathom that right now <laughs> uh you know and I, I had like some root beer barrels and i'd be like all right i'm gonna suck on this root beer barrel until it's gone and i'm not gonna look at my watch until then and then like you know 0.7 miles would go by like anything just to make the time go wow. by quicker and just yeah it was yeah dude that's the classic the classic uh minnesotan root beer barrel strategy in a race (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's a because it takes a while to finish them so when you're really bored it's kind of something to to give you by i'm gonna remember that yeah yeah but by the end of the race the temperatures weren't too bad it was maybe about 10 degrees uh so I mean, cold, but not, I mean, compared to the night before, it felt a little balmy. I mean, I only had maybe two layers on, so 
wasn't horrible. Yeah, were you like completely covered up, like every inch of skin on your body? I mean, if it's negative thirty, you almost have to be, right? Yeah, as long as you keep moving, uh, you can typically stay pretty warm. But the entire race is about sweat management. Okay. So you want to be super cold, but you don't want to be warm. If you're warm, it means you're sweating. And then if you're sweating, that means that your clothes are wetted out. And then that's really dangerous for you know stopping and stuff. So you really just want to be slightly uncomfortably cold the entire time. Uh, and so kind of it, it, it's, you're covered up and you probably got like a, a neck gaiter over your face or something. Uh, but you know, it's, um, yeah, you got some big mitts on, uh, you're, you're just trying to, to like hang out and, uh, you know, just, you, you gotta have to take them off that often, unless you're getting into your pouch to get some food out or or something so it, it, it works but i mean one of my um you know, it, it's funny that you keep shaking your head like <laughs> one of the things going down this rabbit hole as i've said uh that i i always think that i do something crazy and then find out there's some something or someone out there that's even crazier than me like you think this sounds crazy like they're my buddy uh and usual adventure partner gavin woody just finished a 350 mile race just like this on the Iditarod trail up in Alaska. Wow. And so, I mean, that took him like five or six days or, or something. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, double the distance and, you know, out there in even more of a remote area than Northern Minnesota. So there's always someone crazier out there. Than that's you. it, man. That's it. Well, let's kind of talk about like, what have you done in the past that like, cause obviously you don't st- just start with arrowhead 135 so like what did you what have you done in the past that is probably the most influential experiences to get you through that probably like uh you know i i kind of call these uh certain things big ideas um you know really kind of like life-changing things that i schedule uh you know at least a year if not my whole life around and so far i've done two of them and one of, uh, you know, my upcoming one, uh, this summer that, uh, Calvin and I are doing, you know, it's going to be my third, but my first kind of big idea that really influenced a lot of w- what I do now, uh, was running Ragbri. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know, you know, Ragbri is a, uh, annual bike ride across the state of Iowa and it's, uh, changes every year, but it's between 400 and, uh, maybe 500 miles somewhere in there. And it, uh, it's the largest, it's the longest and it's the oldest bike tour in the U S and I think the world, like 20,000 bikers come and do it every year. It's a huge and, party. Like my mom oh, does yeah. it every single year. Yeah. She loves it. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, and growing up in Iowa, you know, I, it was Ragbri was always around me and, and I started to get into marathons in college and I was uh, when I was deployed to Afghanistan and uh, running around uh, my base, uh, we only had about two miles of uh, trails that I could run there. And so I was just doing laps, laps. And I kind of like got an idea like, man, it'd be really fun to next summer run a day of ragbri. And, you know, the days are anywhere from 50 miles to 100 miles. And I was like, I can I could do, you know, like a, a day of ragbri to run it. And then that soon kind of like went down like. You know, you, you start to mull over that and think about it. And you're like, I, I wonder if I could maybe do like two or three days. And before you know it, it's just like, I wonder if it's possible to run the entire week of rag, Brian. And you start trying to research and see if anyone, you know, anyone's ever done it before because you're wondering if you can do it. And, you know, I, I couldn't find any record of anyone having done it. And so especially when no one's done it before, that's like even more of that kind of like kick to the pants to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give that a go. And obviously like I had never even ran a hundred miler by that point, uh, when, when I came up with the idea. So that was the spring I, uh, got back from Afghanistan in January, decided that if I could finish a 100 miler in March, I was going to run rag bride that July <laughs> and, uh, finish the hundred milers. Like, all right, well, I, I guess that means I'm committed and, uh, kind of went after it. And that was, I mean, it was, it was a big, big thing to, uh, to bite off and, and chew on. Like I, you know, obviously done a 
you know, had been a runner since grade school, but never to that extent. Yeah. And, um, and, and I was able to, to finish it, um, and do the, uh, the entire course, including that little extra, uh, uh, loop, um, you know, <laughs> to make it a hundred mile day. Uh, so yeah, that was kind Where of the did... first idea. And, yeah. but, but after that, like you kind of like, Oh man, like, well, that was really fun. But I kind of, you know, you, you, you get addicted to that thrill of it and yeah. then you start trying to plan like, well, I don't want that to be the, the coolest thing I've ever done. I don't want to, you know, peak at age 27. So you kind of start to come up with different ideas yeah. and want to try and do different things. How much, what percentage of it was fun? <laughs> Cause I know like looking back oh, on it, it's probably super fun, but like during it, what percentage of it were you like, this is the best. <laughs> um, I mean, right off the top of my head, I can kind of think of like the first day. Most of the first day was nice. fun. Where'd you guys and start? Kind, um, we started in Council Bluffs. Okay. Uh, and so kind of went, and then it ended. God, I don't. Uh, I think it was somewhere near the Quad Cities where we finished. Was it Muscatine? Um, it might have been. Ah, oh, that's where I'm from. Remember. And I remember it oh, ended really? there either last year or the year before, so I guess it probably was. It, it was 2013 when I ran. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so this this was quite a few years ago Yeah. Um, when, uh, when when I did it. But, yeah, I mean, like, and then uh, the, the last day was fun, too. And okay. uh, <laughs> pretty much anything besides those bookends of, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm fresh, and this is so exciting, and, like, oh, my God, I can't just wait for this to be over. It's the last day. Yeah. Uh, everything in between, like, th- there were some fun spots, but for the most part, yeah, it was, it was a lot of suffering. So I have a bunch of questions about this. Um, first question is kind of silly, but you know how they put their back tires in the Missouri River and their front tires yeah. in the Mississippi? Did you do like your left foot in one and then like right foot in the other? <laughs> well, I, I, I definitely did. I don't remember which foot, but nice. I definitely did one foot in yeah. the Missouri and then when I got to the Mississippi, I dove headlong into it. So, <laughs> You're like going all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was a hot summer day, man. I need to cool off. So, yeah, that was just like, that's what I kept like, you know, uh, that was the little carrot at the end of the stick of like, just jumping into the Mississippi, jumping into yeah. Mississippi. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a good end. Like, I mean, like, it was, it was a lot of fun. I raised, uh, I was raising money for the Iowa Veterans Home uh, for them to uh, purchase this biofeedback equipment, uh, for the, uh, for the home there. And we ended up raising over $20,000 for it, which was, which was awesome. But, you know, I never really had been in the limelight or anything before. So, I mean, it was kind of fun to have your 15 minutes of fame and get on a couple news stations and kind of have that. So that was like, yeah. it, was, it was really cool kind of having like, uh, a lot of people, uh, bikers who were all passing you by, you know, cheering you on. I, yeah, that, that was really kind of That's fun cool. too. Or people, that people, every day. Cause obviously yeah. I, I started before every single biker yeah. and most of the bikers finished before me. So every <laughs> 20,000 biker passed me at some point, you know, yeah. during that every single day. So, Would they cheer you, you in know? like when you're coming into the end or to the finish every night? Oh, uh, well, the, the cities are just, you know, I mean, you've been there. It's yeah. just a mayhem of parties. So kind of working your way into the city, like everyone's just drunk in mayhem anyway. So kind of most people didn't really even notice. But coming into the <laughs> to the finish, uh, there were definitely a, a lot of people kind of there right at the Mississippi who had kind of heard about it and seen about it. So uh, right when we finished at the Mississippi, there was a, a really cool cheering section there. That's awesome, man. What's yeah, like, it was it was it was a fun moment. How long did it take you before you could do anything active after that? Oh, your your body can recover at a much quicker rate than you would expect. Um I I mean like I definitely took some time off, but it was more taking some time off just mentally and feeling like I earned it than physically being able to, you know, yeah. go out and do yeah, something, yeah. but um, I mean, I probably could have went for a couple mile jog two or three days afterwards. Um, well, I mean, I, I could have went for a two or three mile jog the day after too, you know, because yeah. that's like, uh, at, once you get into a groove like that, like that seven day thing, your body just kind of reaches an equilibrium where it, it hurts, but it hurts consistently. It it often doesn't get to a, a worse place of hurt. 
So, I mean, I could have probably on day eight, if I needed to, gotten up and ran another 40 miles. But, you know, I, I obviously I didn't really want to do that. Yeah. So I probably <laughs> took a week off or something. Yeah, man. How did you – so this is like a selfish question because I'm doing a stage race for the first time. I've never done anything like it, but it's like a six-day race through nice, the desert yeah. um, from Colorado. Is it, is it grand to grand? No, so I'm doing it's called Desert Rats. Um, it's, oh, I've heard that one, yeah. Yeah, so it's from like Grand Junction, Fruta, Colorado to Moab. Um, yeah. But it's in June in the desert. So I'm definitely a bit concerned about heat. And I'm like, Ragbrise always seems to be the absolute hottest week of the year in Iowa. So how did you yeah. manage that? <laughs> like, <laughs> teach me, teach me the ways. <laughs> Um, well, unfortunately, some of the things that I did, uh, you might not be able to do. Like I, I just started at 2 a.m. Uh, oh, tried gotcha. To beat the heat, yeah. Uh, and ran, you know, usually I'd run until late morning and then I'd take a couple hours off to have lunch. Okay. Try and sit in the shade and cool down and then, you know, work a few more hours. And then once the afternoon heat kind of started to go down, I'd, you know, pick up and run until seven or eight at night. So, um, Unfortunately, you know, you won't be able to do that, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, I, I hate the heat. Like yeah, I said about bad yeah. water, like I, uh, I, I don't have too many tips on that, but a, a lot of people who are doing, you know, hot weather races like bad water, uh, do a lot of training in a sauna. And so they'll, okay. you know, go do maybe 15 minutes in a sauna and then go for like a 10 mile run and then finish it off with 15 minutes in a sauna or, uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's lots of different ways to train, but doing sauna training, I think, is probably the best way to really acclimate your body to, to a hot weather race. Yeah, like simulate it that way. You're going out and you're kind of like dehydrated to start anyways or start training. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and kind of just like it's – I don't know all the science on it because I haven't really read much into heat training because I, I hate it. But yeah. <laughs> uh, like there's a lot to do with kind of like the physiology of when your body sweats and – how just your body thermoregulates. So it's not even just as simple as getting your body used to running dehydrated. It's more kind of training your thermoregulation to be able to do it more efficiently. Okay. Okay. Cool, man. So that just shows me yeah. I need to do some research because I haven't done any yet. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like skimmed a bunch of online articles okay. about like about it when my friends were always talking about it on Facebook. Yeah, but, cool man. Yeah. So you finished running Ragbri and then how long until the next kind of event uh comes up? Which um I gotta like I'm just gonna picture the audience right now as I tell them what the name of this event was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't come up with the full name. The full okay. name's great. Who came up with it? <laughs> um, my, my buddy Brody Welch from Portland. It's um, genius. <laughs> who came out and helped me uh, during it a little bit. So nice. I came up with the, with the second half. Um, yeah, you want to <laughs> explain? Yeah, man. So, so uh, the event is, <laughs> is called Dick's Rash. And... <laughs> and yeah, man, and I believe yeah. it stands for you because Richard, um, Dick, yep. and then yep. Rash stands for Rainier, Adams, St. Helens, and Hood, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was like, uh, uh, so 2013, I ran Ragbri, and then a couple of months later, I transitioned out of the military. Um, and, you know, was kind of figuring out what was next. So, bought a Volkswagen van and you know, did the whole van life thing, uh, for a year and, uh, cruised around the U S and, and I remember it like, uh, about, it was December. I was climbing up Pike's peak. Uh, and I was kind of thinking, so this is like about six months removed from rag. I was like, man, I like, you know, feel like I need like a big project to kind of motivate myself around. Like what, 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 you know, what could it be? And, um, being out in Seattle, uh, the volcanoes here kind of command the la the landscape. Uh, they're I, they're kind of like giant pimples just sticking out of everything around them, just higher than than everything else. You get on top of one volcano, you can see the next one miles and miles away. And four of them 
have trails that encircle the mountain. Um, and it's those four you just described. Uh, they're really close to Seattle, Tacoma, where I lived. And when I was getting into trail running, I, that was kind of my first objective was to run around these mountains. Like I had climbed them all because uh, I was kind of a, a climber first and then got into trail running. So I climbed them all and I was like, oh, it'd be cool to run around all these mountains. And so one by one, I ran around them easiest to hardest. And the hardest was Mount Rainier, uh, 93 miles and 23,000 feet of elevation gain around the mountain. So then, you know, fast forward, I'm out of the army, climbing up Pikes Peak, looking for something. I was just like, man, I've ran around all those mountains and climbed them like on separate occurrences. I wonder if it'd be possible to run around them all and climb them all in, in one dedicated push. And so... You know, I kind of, you know, just like with Ragbri, I was just like started thinking about it more and more. Huh, I wonder if it's been done. I wonder if I can do it. What would it entail? Uh, let's try and plan this out and see if it could work. And um, yeah, and then with the name, I was just like trying to like come up with a fun name for it. Um, and, uh, you know, Rash kind of uh, was a fun one. <laughs> and it just so happens that that's the, the best order to do them into Rainier Adams St. Helens and then Hood. Uh, so it kind of just worked out. Uh, I didn't even think about the whole Dick's Rash thing until I was actually going <laughs> for it in uh, 2016. And and my buddy, uh, you know, and uh, started putting it on Facebook of uh, hashtag Dick's Rash to kind of follow all the updates for yeah. it. You're and, like, thanks, uh, yeah, man. That, that name kind of took off. So. <laughs> I'm like, hey, thanks, dude. I'm just out here suffering right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's making fun of my rash. Yeah, come on. <laughs> why? Okay, so why does that make? Why is that the best order? Is it just um, starting north to south, or is it like the best driving? Um, Rainier is the most technical of the four. Okay. And so I was doing them all solo and unsupported uh, for the climbs and the runs. So since Rainier is a fully glaciated peak with crevasses that may or may not be open or hidden, um, as well as, you know, being the most physically challenging, uh, my main concern was safety. And so I wanted to do the most dangerous mountain while I was fresh. Um, and also I wanted to do it first so I knew what conditions would be because a week before the push, I did kind of a, a mock uh, one-day ascent of Rainier with a buddy uh, to check out conditions, see how I would feel to do a one-day ascent. And then, uh, so we did it as a team. I came down a week later. I started the rash. So I knew what conditions were like. It was the most dangerous, so I wanted to be fresh. Yeah. And then starting with that one, you could do either Adams or St. Helens next. That order didn't really matter. But... Helen's was the uh, the easiest of the four of them. So kind of having that one as number three was kind of nice to be able to like break. Uh, yeah, I kind of have like decreasing order like uh, and then Hood is probably the second most technical. Um, and so I kind of wanted to do Hood after an easy one. So that's why I kind of put Helen's number three. So I had a rest before the second hardest one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What What is you it about? Could do it. Yeah. What is it about Hood that, like, you always hear about Hood in the news of people like stranded on it or you know like always not good stories I guess. Yeah. What is it? Is it just the fact that it's so close to Portland and it's like the biggest mount, like the biggest mountain right there? Yeah. I mean, like Hood's. Hood's not that technical of a mountain. Like the reason that there are so many accidents and rescues on it is, is you know, you kind of touched on it. It's the access to it uh, as like the biggest cool mountain really close to Portland. And at the same time, the fact that there's a ski lodge right at the base and the, and the you know, lifts go most of the way up. Uh, it's a yeah. 5,000 foot climb and I think the lifts go up two or 3,000 of that. And I mean, most climbers don't take the lifts, of course, but it just kind of gives that aura that this isn't a big mountain, you know, that you really need to be concerned about safety. It just, you, you feel like it's a very safe place to be when in essence, like it's a volcano, it's yeah. a mountain, there yeah. are lots of dangerous things. And so it's, 
the first 4,000 feet are super benign. You're just going up a real easy slope. And it's only kind of the last thousand feet that give you any issue. But it's, uh, and so it, the fact that it's only the technical portion is a very small amount of the mountain also makes it feel like it's an easier mountain maybe uh, to a lot of people. Um, and so it just gets big, massive crowds. And so uh, just like I'm sure you've heard stories of Everest, how yeah. the crowds make it much more dangerous, crowds on hood because everyone has to funnel through uh, one of two ways, pretty much either the hogs back or the old shoots. And so when you have such massive crowds going through a very crowded area on that section is pretty steep. It's about 45 degrees. And when it's a little bit icy and if you're kind of new to cramponing and you're not feeling confident, you slip, you take out other people. Um, and, and it's also, okay. So, you know, you're falling. If you have a nice safe area to fall into, that's dangerous, but not, you know, as dangerous as it could be. However, what you fall into in either of the ways that you could go is a fumarole, which is where all the sulfur gas emits. So it's kind of just like a collection of airs where yeah, everyone man. just falls into the fumarole and either, you know, gets burned or suffocated or, you know, trauma from the fall. Uh, so that really kind of adds some elements to it. So thankfully, I mean, like a lot of times I've climbed hood, it's been outside of hours. Most people go, um, you know, like for example, when I climbed it, uh, for the, um, uh, for the rash, it was pretty late in, uh, in, in the day. Uh, but I was skiing down and, and I kind of like, I was able to avoid most of the traffic and go around like 11 o'clock on like, uh, I think it was like a Tuesday or something too. So it wasn't even, um, that busy of a day. So, um, yeah, I was able to avoid most of the traffic. Yeah, I think there was like three other people up there. Dang. So I was reading your report about this and you're mentioning uh, just the lack of sleep because um, I think you said it took you, well, like a moving time. It took you 108 hours, which is what? A little over four days. I'm terrible. 108. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I think that's four days. Four days would be 96 hours. Yeah. Okay. So that's a hundred. Four, four and a half days. Yeah. Yeah. Right in there. Yeah. Yep. And then just, I mean, how did you manage sleep? I mean, I, I just, in the report, it says the first two days you just didn't get any sleep, even though you're, you had some t- like parts where you're going to yeah. try to sleep, but it just didn't work I out. Mean, so, so for this adventure, I was using a vehicle to drive myself in between uh, the mountains. And so like the 108 moving hours, that was the amount of time I was either climbing or running around a mountain. And then there was, you know, a lot of downtime that I was maybe driving or sleeping or making food or repacking gear, or, you know, just doing a, a, you know, a number of other things that needed to get done within that time. So, I mean, like sometimes I slept during that moving time. Like, so that moving time was also including the 40 you know, 42 hours that I was going around Mount Rainier. Um, but some of that time I was sleeping, I was just sleeping out on the trail as opposed to sleeping in my van or something. Um, I mean, but the overarching theme to it was just get sleep where I can. Um, and I started at the stroke of midnight, uh, to, for the climb up to Rainier. So I didn't sleep much the night prior, um, climb Rainier, got down and then it was middle of the afternoon lots of busy traffic so i couldn't get any sleep in the afternoon before i started off on the on the wonderland trail so i was like all right you know and then i pushed through the night i got just a little bit of sleep and then i because i wanted to sleep during the day but just the bugs were horrible and then so i tried to sleep in my little emergency bivy but then i was too hot because it was you know like a little oven inside that um that emergency bivy so it just kept being one thing after another and like i wanted sleep but i just couldn't lay down and get sleep and so i kind of started to get a little loopy uh (laughs) for those first three days one day to climb rainier and then two more to run around it um and then i was just like so that was like two and a half days and i was just like a pile uh at the end of that and that's almost where i probably uh, came my closest to quitting. Yeah. Um, and, and I was a little sick too. I had gotten a bit of a cold and like a cough, uh, right before I started. And so I was just, 
you know, coughing up a storm and just felt like crap. But kind of got, I, I slept that night for maybe six hours and then got up and felt refreshed enough to kind of keep moving from there. And, you know, I mean, like, yeah, it, maybe around four to six hours of average a night for sleep uh, throughout those six days. Yeah. Here's what, I, here's something I love about these, like, self-inflicted adventure trips is the fact that like you could quit whenever you wanted to and literally like nobody's you know what i mean like you're not accountable to anybody except yourself and so you're like well you're just proving to yourself that you can get through this you know it's not like you have that external like oh i gotta Finish, I got to win the race or I have to like, you know, right. People are going to care if I finish. completely internal motivation. Yeah. So what do you tell yourself when you get done with something like that? And you're like, I'm back at my car. I could just drive home and go to sleep and go. Uh, I don't know. I'm stubborn, bullheaded. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't like to quit. Um, I, I, I think like, I mean, I, I used to, you know, from my time in the, in the military, I went to ranger school and, and sapper school and, and those, those schools, like, you know, before you go to them, you, you, you know, you hear army rangers like, Oh man, badass, you know, like do all these really cool guy, you know, stuff. Um, uh, you, you know, but, but really it's just, it, that is great training for ultra marathon in that it's just, it's living with the suck. And yeah. mainly what ranger school does for you is it, is it teaches you where your limits are in how much you can take. And so it just teaches you how to not quit when all you're all you can think about is quitting. And that is is a pretty good thing to be able to like realize is how far you can push yourself and to help you try and find your own limits of how much you can take and and then once you kind of get through that that gives you a lot of confidence both in you know, whatever you were trying to get through and just in an all facets of life where it's just like, Oh man, like this thing elsewhere in my life has given me problems, but I know I can help manage it because I got through this really tough thing a while ago. Like, yeah, yeah I'm a strong individual. I, I, I can do it, you know, type of thing. Well, and it's funny cause if I, I'm sure there are people listening out there who kind of have this misconception about, you know, adventure athletes like yourself where they're kind of thinking, I bet they never, even think about quitting you know and you just said those times where all you can think about is quitting yeah yeah i mean you just you like i always think about it but i never seriously contemplate it like gotcha. yeah i i it's it's always in in your mind that like man it sure would be nice to quit yeah. but you never actually like i never let myself contemplate it um yeah because that, that's a path to go down once you kind of start letting an idea in it can start to grow and fathom and and it's just like i've always said like i'll quit if it's a health thing if it's a safety thing if i'm doing damage to my body but if it's just that i'm uncomfortable like if i'm just hurting and tired then those are all solvable problems i can i can whatever's making that then you have to quit like you're doing damage to yourself but if I keep safe trudging onward just continuously trudging onward then even if it takes me hey man I'm I'm losing you a little bit hold on alright now I can hear you I think yeah, yeah, sorry, we're going, uh, yeah, I kind of went through a bit of a valley, but we're climbing back up. Oh, uh, no worries, so man. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I sorry love that, dude. That. No, hey, no worries. That's, and that's something that's super important for people to understand, and then I think it's important for people to learn about themselves, um, because what of what you just said, uh, you can apply that idea and that, like, I guess, bullheadedness uh, to other areas of your life and it makes when life problems come up it makes them seem like not as big of a deal all right man so the other part of your i mean there was a whole bunch and i guess do you want to tell everybody where they can find your report um for for the rash and 
Yeah, I have a website, uh, www.runningfarther.com. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of just a little blog. I, um, yeah, any time I have uh, kind of like what, what a, a big mission, I'll try and do a little write-up on it. Um, typically, you know, informative on gear and you know, other things that help me figure it out. So if anyone else wants to go do that route, they can hopefully get some good beta from it. Yeah, that rocks. I'll, I'll make sure to link it. Uh, to this and I'll probably talk about it in the intro and the outro and stuff but uh your your report was really cool and um the one, another part that fascinated me is you talked about getting hypothermia at one point yeah on uh on the uh the rash yeah I think uh, or maybe like maybe not like straight up hypothermia but like borderline I guess I don't think I ever. I, I don't really <laughs> ever remember being too cold. I mean, it was the rash was in July, so oh. I mean, like, yeah, I, I was on snow and uh, yeah. mountains and volcanoes and stuff. But no, I, I don't think I ever got to. I'm trying to think. I ever got like really cold. A couple of nights overnight, I got pretty chill. Maybe that's what I. Yeah, maybe that's what I was. Yeah, doing. yeah, definitely not to a hypothermia point. I probably would have pulled the plug if I was getting uh, getting that rough. Yeah, now that I think about so. it, you like survived Arrowhead 135. Like, I'm sure your <laughs> your hypothermia <laughs> like bar is set very high. I have to imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the cold. I, I activate much better in the cold. But yeah, I mean, like through the nights when you're running through the nights, typically like it does get really cold. But yeah. you know, you just kind of have to to keep going. Uh, oh yeah, there there was like. There was, I guess, not hypothermia as much, but like uh, towards the end of running the Wonderland, I was about like 15 miles from the end, and a and a surprise storm came in, um, and I just like I couldn't use my hands anymore. Like they <laughs> were pretty rough, and I mean I had pretty minimal clothing, so I definitely got pretty chilled. Um, but it was like almost on the verge of being a situation. Um, capital T, capital S, uh, the situation. But yeah. <laughs> um, I, as long as I kept running, I would have been fine. But like, it's kind of always, I, I always kind of have a running log of like, okay, things are going well, but contingency plans if stuff does go wrong. And at that time, I kind of just didn't have a contingency plan. Uh, just like, all right, I roll and sprain my ankle. Now I can't move fast. Now I'm in danger of becoming hypothermic. Gotcha. If, you know, I were to, like, fall and break something. But as long as I kept moving, like, I was cold. But one of those, like, yeah, you just keep moving. Yeah, man. Can you can you kind of describe some of the, like, emotional ups and downs? Because, I mean, with something this long, I have to imagine there's just, like, moments of elation and then moments of just, like sobbing or something <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I cried i mean yeah on mount hood i when i started running around uh the timberline trail uh i i just started bawling and crying and like and, and i couldn't figure out why like it wasn't from fatigue it wasn't from like anything and i think it was just like it was once i started hood i kind of knew that i was going to finish barring you know any big accident um and so it was kind of just like that release of emotions where I wasn't even sad. I wasn't happy. I was just like releasing all the emotions in just this like 10 minute ball session yeah. as I was just like slowly hiking up a hill. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you go through so many emotional ups and downs and physical ups and downs yeah. too. I mean, like, you know, if, if you've ran marathons or ever heard of that hitting the wall thing, like that's a physical down uh you know that you hit a lot of those when you just like need food and so you just like sit down and scarf a bunch of food down to to get more energy you know back and um you know and, and emotionally you can kind of get in the same spot where you just need something to go but you just like sit down you have like a little like pity party for yourself and then you just realize that like all right i'm having a pity party because it's 3 a.m i'm on the side of the trail i'm wet i'm cold i'm tired like but no one's coming for me. There's no Calvary. Like I just have to keep going because that's just what you do. So, yeah. um, yeah, there's not really any other options. So just kind of go for it and do it. And, and then the highs, you know, like, especially in a project like this, where it was a lot of different summits, like summiting each of the, uh, of the volcanoes was super cool to be able to get up there and, 
um, you know, summit in it. And especially at the summit of Hood, you can see all four of the volcanoes. And then That's just to cool. know that, like, holy shit, like, this is pretty much done. I just have to down climb a little bit of steep and then ski down to my van. And, like, you know, which is, it was a great way to end the project to ski down uh, you know, and it was just so much fun. Uh, That's cool, know, man. Lots of highs, lots of lows. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's some of the stats, I guess. Uh, you on your website, you said it was 247 miles and seven or 74,000 feet of elevation gain. Just, just for people's ideas. Like that's yeah. a big yeah. time project, man. Um, <laughs> and I know, yeah, okay. It was, so uh, it was a big week. yeah. So like kind of segueing. So talking about the volcanoes, um, and I definitely, in the future, like if you're cool with it, I want to have you guys both on um, before you guys start the project. But you and Calvin are planning this thing called the Tour de Volcanoes. Um, and yeah. essentially, yeah. it's like. Yeah, we can spend a whole hour talking about that one, man. I'm so, so stoked for it. Yeah. And we were talking a bit before the show, um, uh, and you guys both came to this idea independently. And then just kind of heard about each other wanting to do this. And you're like, hey, we should team up. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of funny how, how that happened. Uh, do, do, you wanna, do you want me to tell the story how I kind of came up with it? Or do you want to have Kelvin me on again? We can each kind of tell our own uh, stories on, on it? Or? Yeah, man. We, uh, yeah, real quick, you can tell how you came up with it. And then we'll, yeah. we'll do something in the future and we'll... we'll yeah. Yeah, I have I, so I remember, many questions for you guys, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the exact moment. Like, you know, just kind of how I said the rash came from, uh, you know, me finishing Ragbri and wanting something else to, to be motivated by. It was kind of the same thing for the Tour de Volcanoes and the rash. Like, I was running around Mount St. Helens during the rash, and at that time, too, like, I knew I had the easy one, then one more kind of hard one to do. I was like, wow, like, I got this thing in the bag, hopefully. That means it's going to be over. That means I don't have anything to, like, train for again. And I started thinking about, like, man, like, what, what's the next thing that I should maybe try and do? Um, and so I was thinking about, like, man, I really had a lot of fun on this rash project, climbing the volcanoes. But what wasn't so much fun, like, was running around them. Like, it, it really just got to be way too too long to run around these volcanoes. And, and, and I just have, like, such a soft spot in my heart for these Cascade volcanoes. And I... There's some of them down in Oregon and uh, down in Northern California I've never done before. So I decided to, you know, what, what, what if I could try to climb all of the volcanoes and, you know, bike in between them? Because I, as much as I love the rash, I didn't really like the uh, kind of the, the driving in between. It just didn't really seem that pure to be doing this, you know, cool mountain uh, with driving in between them. So like what if i could climb all the volcanoes but by biking between them all and then of course to make it into a you know a full trip bike from seattle down to lassen and then bike back to seattle from baker uh so do all of them you know in one shot all human powered yeah man are you worried at all that and you know instead of the running part which you didn't find that much uh the enjoyable part are you worried that the biking part is going to be a bit uh kind of like grind to get through it yeah i'm, I'm probably i'm probably going to be sick of biking by the end of it for a little while um but I, I i also think like i i really like variety and i don't think i could do one sport for that long i just get too bored of it so what i really like about how this one came out is It'll be, you know, like a day of climbing or, you know, uh, however long the climb takes. And then it's, all right, you know, we'll be tired of climbing. And then, boom, now we have like a nice bike ride to, to break it up. And as soon as kind of maybe get tired of bike riding, cool, now we have a climb to do. Uh, you know, so now we get to go climb. And, and so it's kind of like we'll keep switching back and forth between the two modes of transportation. So I think that hopefully should keep it from... You know, just like hating biking. Like if it, I don't know if I could ever bike across the U.S. or something. It's just, you know, or hike the PCT. It's just one activity for far too long. I, I wouldn't really enjoy that. So yeah. I'd rather 
do something like this or, you know, bike for a day, climb for a day, bike for a day. So, um, I'm hoping I don't hate it too much by the end. But yeah, man. I'm definitely going to want to not see my bike seat for a while. Yeah. I totally feel you on that. Cause like my favorite races ever are adventure races. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And for that reason, because you're just doing all these various disciplines and you're exploring the outdoors, but you're doing it in all these different ways. So that's super cool, man. Um, I don't want to get into too much about Tour de Volcanoes, but uh, is it going to be weird working with uh, working with another person? Yeah, yeah, it, it will be a little bit. And that's definitely, you know, one of the, uh, the uh, more interesting challenges about this one. Um, you know, and having another guy along is definitely going to make it a little bit more safe. Um, you know, just cause some of these are definitely going to be some pretty formidable, uh, technical challenges. So being able to have a, um, you know, a, a two main rope team on them is definitely going to be nice, but yeah, you know, like the, a lot of the logistics and figuring stuff out, like I am more used to being solo, uh, on these types of things, you know, on Ragbri, it was just me running on, on the rash. It was just me by myself. So, you know, it'll definitely be a little bit interesting, but I think, uh, you know, just with some integration, it should, uh, should go pretty well. Yeah, man, dude, I love it. It's going to be awesome. Um, we're going to have you back on the show if that's cool. And I'll have Calvin, uh, I keep trying to get him to come over here. I'm in Colorado right now. So get him some mountain training. Uh, to get ready so dude as like <laughs> yeah. it's funny man i just love you know having friends who go out and do these crazy things because i'm like i always tell calvin i'm like dude i'm a fan of you so like when you do this cool stuff and go you know it entertains me <laughs> so so yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it man i'm i'm super stoked for you guys yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm really stoked on it it's only gonna be a couple more months here until uh yeah, until it goes off. So sometime in June, we'll be stepping off for it. So lots to get done and figured out in that time. Heck yeah, man. Well, where can, uh, if people are listening to this and they want to kind of follow your adventures, where where can they find that? Yeah, yeah, probably um, uh, my blog, uh, runningfarther.com is okay. the, uh, the best place. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not the best about updating it. I, uh, writing has never really been a, a, a huge passion of mine. It's kind of more of the planning and map pouring over and running logistics than writing. But, you know, uh, I try and write up uh, about most of the kind of the, the bigger missions that I try and do. Sweet. Well, thanks, Richard, man. We'll, uh, we'll get back at you at some point. Cool. Yeah, sounds good, man. All right, good catching up. Bye. Yeah, see ya. All right, that wraps up this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Thank you, Richard, for joining the show. I can't wait till we can catch up again in the future. You rock. Um, I always try to, like, I kind of feel like, should I share wisdom at the end of the podcast? And then I'm like, how wise is my wisdom? That's what I always wonder. Um, so I was trying to think, and I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't really have anything this week, like, you know, I didn't do anything new necessarily. I was kind of just in my routine of training and then going to school, aka holding onto the reins and surviving into the weeks leading up to spring break, uh, you know, and then hanging out with the family and all that stuff. And I'm like, man, what, what significant thing happened this week? And so I want to share something with you guys. Um, I felt terrible all last week. Like, I don't know what the deal was. I just felt off all week. I was tired. I was maybe sick, maybe injured. I had all these different kind of like thoughts running through my head. I'm like, oh man, do I feel bad because of this? Or is it because of this and because of this? And I had this like constant internal monologue of basically questioning whether or not I felt good. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds where I'm like, I think I'm too dehydrated. Um, so I woke up and I just drank water all day long and instantly learned my lesson that, yeah, if you just drink like 240 ounces of water, like that's dumb. That's just as dumb as not drinking any water because you actually flush out all the sodium and stuff. So long story short, I felt terrible. We got to Friday, um, worked all day, had that self-talk going all day, that negative self-talk and as soon as school ended, I was like, oh man, I think I should skip my run, skip the workout I had planned. And I had all these reasons why I should skip it. Like so many excuses. If you had an excuse, 
written down, then I guarantee you that was one of my excuses as well. I was like, it's Friday. I'm tired. Um, I got to rest up for the weekend. I Maybe I'm sick. Maybe I'm injured, blah, 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 blah. On and on and on and on. But then I had the one thought. And the one thought was, yeah, but. It was like, yeah, but you still need to to give it give it the old go, right? Give it the old college try, as they always say. So I drove to the trailhead, got in my car, put my shoes on, put my shorts on, and I started going up the trail. And I'm at North Table Mountain, and you essentially start by going straight up, no matter which way you go. So I ended up going straight up this mountain, and the first two miles I felt terrible, like absolute garbage. I'm still thinking to myself, like, oh, is this dumb? Like, what am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then I intentionally on mile three was like, you know what, man, like just zone out, just focus solely on your movement and don't focus on that inner dialogue that's been going on and on and on all week. And as soon as I started doing that, I felt not only good, I felt amazing. Like I just started going. I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good. I feel great. I feel amazing. <laughs> um, and the rest of the run, I did seven and a half miles that day. So the last five and a half miles, I felt great. And I felt great ever since. And mentally, I felt pretty good because I actually forced myself to get it done. So whatever your excuses are, sometimes you can have a whole book of excuses, but you just got to actually just show up and start that forward momentum. And it's going to be hard. Momentum's hard to get started. But once you get once you actually get it going, once you get it rolling, it gets easier and easier and easier. So anyways, that's all I had to share this week. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we have a bunch of good stuff coming up. It's I'm on spring break, so I'm going to try to plan a bunch of episodes to get a bunch recorded in the bag for you guys and I have some really cool really inspiring guests coming up so I'm looking forward to talking to them and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you guys uh, if you like the show this is your very first one check out all the episodes I bet you'll find something to connect with um, so look us up like a Bigfoot we're on iTunes or SoundCloud or anywhere where you find podcasts and you can follow my training as I take on this crazy stage race uh, in the desert, desert rats. You can follow that training um, on any of the social media stuff. So anyways, uh, we'll get back at you next week. See ya.